Hello and welcome back to Coin Scrum Markets. I'm thrilled to be joined by Sid Powell, co-founder and CEO at Maple Finance today. Hi Sid, thanks for joining us. Hey Paul, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Good to have you. I hear you're out in New York. Uh, conferences opening up again, so hopefully people are meeting face to face. I'm sure there's uh, lots of discussion going on. There's been a lot happening over the last year and a half when everyone's been locked up. Um, nothing more so, I guess, in crypto than the growth of DeFi and the explosion of DeFi. Um, and I guess before that, but in tandem, um, growth of, uh, of the lending markets um, in crypto in general, both uh, centralized providers, centralized lending desks, but also more and more so um, uh, DeFi platforms providing lending uh, services. Big topic, obviously in the current economic environment, yield is hard to find. So, um, you know, anything that generates the types of returns that you have been seeing uh, for lending digital assets is probably going to become more and more attractive to institutional players. Um, and I guess one of the big barriers to entry so far, especially for DeFi is, you know, uh, I guess gray areas around uh, regulatory requirements that some of uh, you know, the more traditional participants will probably need to fulfill if they're going to enter these markets. Um, and that's something that Maple has sort of taken on board from the beginning and as part of their very core design of the platform to be able to start, you know, reaching that, uh, market in terms of institutional investors and offering some of those opportunities. So should we just start by, if you can just give us a little bit of your background, what you were doing before you started uh, working on, on Maple, um, and then we can just dive in and find a little bit more about the platform and how it works. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so prior to Maple, I was working in uh, debt capital markets. So I would help uh, corporates to raise debt so that they could reinvest in expanding their businesses. Um, I then led treasury at a commercial lending company. And it was during that time I started thinking about how we could harness the transformative power of blockchain to connect global capital with the areas that it would, uh, where it could have the most opportunity. Okay. Um, so with Maple specifically, um, I mean, some of our audience are probably quite familiar with um, DeFi and how uh, you know, these decentralized exchanges and lending platforms work. Not everyone. Um, you know, as I've said before on, on, on this show, um, you know, in many ways, we're reinventing what exists in traditional markets, but in many ways also democratizing it. Um, and a lot of functions which have previously been performed by central or you know, uh, central intermediaries are now being kind of encoded into smart contracts. So can you just talk us through what it is you've developed um, and on a high level, you know, what the different components are and who the different participants are within the system. Yeah, for sure. So what the way I would characterize Maple is that it is an institutional capital marketplace built on top of Ethereum. So on the one on the one side, we provide under collateralized loans to crypto native companies who would use those to reinvest in expanding their businesses. And then on the other side of that marketplace is a lending opportunity for holders of stable coins who wish to deposit them into Maple pools. Uh, so that's at a high level how I would characterize it overall. And then there's three participants on Maple. Uh, you have the lenders who are typically institutions who want to earn a yield uh, on their stable coins. So they deposit them into a Maple pool and they're lent out. You have the delegate who acts as kind of a manager of that pool. So what they do is they perform the due diligence and assessment, underwriting assessment on a borrower, and then approve the loan terms to them. Uh, but they never custody the funds. Mm -hmm. And then you have 
the borrowers who are crypto native institutions typically were serving uh, market makers, market neutral funds, uh, and they are borrowing to expand their businesses. Um, and uh, in future, I would see that expanding to include other companies within the crypto native space. This could be miners, uh, could also be SaaS companies in future. Sure. Okay. So up until now, DeFi platforms, I mean, it really has been completely open to anyone, which I guess some people see as a, a, as a positive uh, development. Um, but, you know, as we've already mentioned, you know, the reality is that to attract a, a larger and more institutional type audience, there's going to be some need to be some checks and balances. And, you know, that's clearly what you're building in from the start. Uh, in yeah. doing so, though, there needs to be some, I guess, level of human touch point or some human touch points here. Um, so compared to those fully open platforms, what is it that you bring to play and how do you manage those onboarding processes to give all the participants uh, satisfaction that their kind of um, responsibilities from a compliance perspective have been met? Yeah, so the, the way that Maple's worked uh, from the beginning is that it's providing, uh, providing credit creation on the borrower side. So it's always been really important to know who the borrowers are. And so uh, when we're dealing with institutional participants who take out loans on Maple, they would go through a KYC process to begin with. Uh, that's relatively standard and well-trodden, but then they also importantly go through a pretty rigorous due diligence process with the pool delegates mm -hmm. on the platform. Uh, and this would involve uh, a call to discuss uh, the way that they operate, use of funds, uh, financials, uh, management's experience and track record so that they can, so that the delegate can get comfortable with the loan is, uh, is uh, going to be repaid. And then increasingly on the other side, uh, we're seeing appetite for institutional, uh, what you might call permissioned pools. And so that uh, with, with future pools there, uh, we have the ability to turn on uh, whitelisting mm -hmm. if required. And that might follow a similar process uh, because certain institutions, they already have existing relationships and they prefer to, to deal with those relationships and now see a good opportunity to bring those mm -hmm. into uh, on-chain infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I and mean, one of the things that you offer, and I guess this is probably more comparable to uh, the centralized uh, lending desk that we, that we mentioned, um, which you know, in, uh, oftentimes come with a white glove service and you know, go through a similar level yeah. of due diligence to understand their counterparties and any risks related to them. Um, so you're offering un under collateralized lending. How do you manage any risk in terms of during market volatility and potential margin calls that will be required? Yeah, so there's a, there's a few ways that we manage, uh, manage the credit risk there, which is what you're alluding to. Mm -hmm. uh, the first of these is uh, focusing on high quality counterparties. Uh, so we're typically dealing with the largest, uh, you know, the, the largest market makers and funds in the space. Uh, you know, known borrowers on, on the Maple platform uh, mm -hmm. today include Alameda Research, uh, Amber Group, uh, Wintermute, uh, Folkfang, Nibio. So these are very high quality counterparties. Mm -hmm. uh, they go through a due diligence process, as I mentioned, where their financials would be assessed. Uh, then uh, to, to give lenders further comfort around how risk is managed, pools are diversified. So uh, you're not lending to one party in particular, you actually have a, a pro rata um, share of every uh, lender in the pool. Uh, and then we, we're we really big on transparency. And I think this is one of the, the key areas where we might differ from CFI uh, 
yield opportunities uh, where you don't necessarily know who's borrowing on the other side. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is that anyone who goes onto the Maple platform and looks at one of the pools will be able to see all of the borrowers who are in that pool uh, and therefore the source of that yield. So I think that's been particularly important. Mm -hmm. And then the final way in which uh, risk is managed is that the delegate needs to put skin in the game. So I think that's another element that's really important. So you can see that they would be staking to a, a subordinated reserve in that pool. And that offers just a bit of extra credit enhancement uh, mm -hmm. for the lenders who are senior in that pool. Right, okay. And you, in, you, like many of these platforms, you do have your own token. Um, can you just explain what that's there for? Um, and yeah. you know, what benefits people get from holding that token? Yeah, for sure. So Maple has a governance token. Uh, it's uh, MPL. And this token is used uh, for governance decisions like we recently had a vote on uh, changing some of the fee settings, for example. Uh, the other key purpose that Maple serves is uh, for allocation of risk. And that gets to that uh, staking reserve that I talked about. So a pool delegate would be required to stake both Maple tokens and uh, USDC, so stable coins, into that reserve. And that means that the reserve is effectively denominated in both uh, Maple tokens and stable coins. Mm -hmm. And what it does then is uh, it receives a portion of the fees that go to that reserve. So by default, that's uh, about one-tenth of the interest yield coming through the pool, but it just ensures that Maple is required um, uh, as a utility token to participate in, uh, in, in supporting those pools. Right, okay, understood. That will make sense. So uh, you've obviously clearly mentioned um, that you're supporting stable coins now. Um, you know, mm. It does seem that stable coins are definitely getting uh, the attention of you know, institutional participants in, in various ways, whether it's yield generation or just the ability to settle um, uh, non-banking hours over the weekend when they're accessing the crypto market. So I think we can all assume, especially with the work that a lot of central banks are doing, that stable coins are kind of going to be here to stay and bring a lot of efficiencies into multiple markets. Um, what's the plan longer term? Is it are you, are you specifically going to be focusing on stable coins or are you going to be gradually kind of uh, bringing in other tokens and obviously that brings around different kind of uh, risk exposure for participants, but that's something they could potentially manage. Um, what's the plans going forward? Yeah, I think, first of all, I would say the, the market for stable coins can get much, much larger than what it is today. And so that will probably be the core center of gravity of the platform. And I think there's a, there's a couple of really important things to note about stable coins. It's effectively like a, you know, it's like a 5% export subsidy, right? For sort of any, any companies or industries within the US. And so I think that's why there's gonna be such a terrific tailwind behind it. By not having to go through the conventional SWIFT system and T plus three, uh, you actually like make um, you know, US companies a lot more competitive in exporting their services internationally. internationally. Uh, so I think uh, core, core will definitely be stable coins for some time, uh, but we are looking at supporting other, uh, other uh, tokens and mm -hmm. uh we see appetite on the you know the, the market making side uh for some of the altcoins out there and so i think we do have plans to introduce um you know probably a handful of these uh to test the waters there and size up the market over the next few months okay and are you just covering uh fiat backed stable coins such as usdc um or are you looking at the programmatic ones such as maker uh, at the moment, we're just covering uh, the fiat-backed ones. Uh, mm -hmm. So we've seen, we, we've really gone by kind of uh, market capitalization. So uh, we support USDC, have seen a lot of appetite there. We also, uh, we also see inbound interest 
uh, for Tether, for example. And so, uh, yeah, so, so we're, we're, we're exploring the ways that we can best serve the borrower's appetite and also the lender's appetite. Okay. Um, and you mentioned, uh, um, you know, your, your kind of uh, early adopters, um, which are, you know, uh, large players uh, entrenched in uh, liquidity provision within the crypto ecosystem already. Um, everyone yep. uses this term institutional. We all know that's kind <laughs> of a, a broad spectrum and uh, it's maybe a, a ladder that you have to go one rung at a time on. Um, yeah. What, so what's the reality when you're going out there speaking to guys at more traditional funds that might be interested in these opportunities, quite enticing yields? Um, you know, we assume that the majority of them are or have been doing their homework on this uh, space now. Um, so what's, what's, what's the typical conversation like and how many people are ready to actually move in? Uh, so in terms of readiness, it, it varies institution to institution. But I think what's really attracted a lot of them here is that this is a, a product they can understand because uh, because it's more of a yield uh, a yield product on the lending side, uh, and so they don't have to necessarily be red pilled uh, that certain crypto assets are going to be you know much much larger in future. Uh, instead, what they see is uh, they're already comfortable uh, with kind of stable coins, and what they see is an opportunity here to get a yield on those stable coins that is. Uh, uh, far better comparably to what they can get in traditional markets. Mm. And they like the fact that there is capital preservation uh, within uh, capital preservation in those yields. Mm. Uh, so uh, this is a ultimately a fixed income product. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and then they can see uh, transparency in the way that the platform is set up. Uh, I mentioned how uh, mentioned how information on those borrowers is shared and the performance uh, occurs in real time. So it's something that's uh, less of a bridge for them to cross than certain other uh, products in the space. And we find that helps conversations. Yeah. Definitely. And rules generally in most jurisdictions around um, KYC and AML are pretty clear. Um, and you know, if we're leaving aside some of the more speculative uh, crypto tokens at the moment as well. Um, has that made the process relatively easy for you to follow and get this live and um, you know, tick the boxes to be able to onboard these, these companies or are there still obviously you know, uh, certain question marks that might remain that they're, they're not quite comfortable with yet? Uh, I would say it's an evolving process. So certainly uh, in terms of the uh, use of use of the funds on the platform, they're all going to KYC uh, KYC borrowers and I think that was always uh, inherently important just because of risk management. You want to know, uh, you want to know who the institutions are, uh, who are borrowing and uh, ensure that they are able to repay those loans. Mm -hmm. Increasingly, we're seeing more appetite uh, for KYC participation on the other side uh, of the marketplace. We've built in the ability to do whitelisting um, so that can be toggled on. Uh, and uh, I would say what's uh, one, one thing that will certainly help is, uh, is, is, better uh, better KYC user experiences. Uh, I would say the user experience of it is typically very manual and uh, and that's something that uh, that would definitely uh, be welcome in the space. Yeah, uh, I mean, if we, if we think about other markets um, uh, that, that might benefit from this, I guess, you know, there's a huge market in securities lending um, and that's been, you know, uh, tokenized securities has been uh, bubbling away beneath the surface for the last few years. I think a lot of those platforms and projects that were kind of early to the game found that, mm. you know, um, I guess it's uh, the challenges for them were around lack of 
regulatory cohesion with different jurisdictions having different requirements around the securities laws. Do you see that as a, as a market that you'll be able to go after um, at some point? Uh, potentially in future. I mean, the way, the way that I would characterize Maple is really it's infrastructure for, mm -hmm. uh, for lending. Uh, and so whether the, the assets that are pooled and lent are you know, native crypto assets, uh, or caught in future include tokenized versions of kind of real world assets mm -hmm. um, is, is kind of to be determined by the participants on the platform. We will respond with going where the greatest need is. And I think that's probably one of the mistakes that a lot of participants who were early to that game made was that they actually focused on here's a huge addressable market rather than here's a burning need. And they built something for people who weren't yet actually ready to, uh, to take the ticket to the show. Yeah, yeah, no, that does make a lot of sense. And I think we've seen that play out before. Timing is everything um, with yeah. innovation. Um, so I mentioned earlier that, um, you know, and I guess you see this as a good thing uh, for the industry yeah. in general, that the likes of Aave and Compounder are launching their own uh, KYC liquidity pools. Um, how's the industry working together? Because I think, you know, is at this stage of the industry, uh, co-opetition is probably best. Stronger together is probably best. Um, what are you seeing or sensing from people in terms of looking to work together, to develop standards, to bring broader comfort and hopefully the, the case that you all win together? I think one of the great things about the space is the composability, which I think is probably a byword for collaboration within the space. So, you know, we've, we've been, at, uh, been at some of the conferences uh, this week and last week uh, in New York, and it's been great to see, uh, great to see all of the proposed collaboration. Uh, between different uh, different protocols and also, uh, you know, people who are more on the, the centralized side, say, uh, you know, say funds and investors in the space. Uh, so I think uh, broad industry standards would help. And this is one of the advantages of kind of composable, composable products is that let's say you could have, uh, you know, a movable identity type product like or tokenized identity that can be ported uh, into different Web3 apps. Certainly something like that would uh, would not be the domain of us or, you know, a single other lending protocol like a Compound or Aave, but it would be something which allows us to to work closer together mm -hmm. and is a bit of, a, you know, a bit of a bridge or an enabler in the space. So I think that's terrific. And then, uh, yeah, so probably probably one of the key ones is, I guess, standards around uh, identity and, and uh, use between protocols. Yeah, yeah, no, I think so. I mean, I, I've been banging on that identity will be uh, the thing that brings all of this together at some point. I know there's a lot mm -hmm. of work going on there. Um, either, you know, there's even um, um, uh, consultations uh, at W3C at the moment about open standards and standardization. So hopefully that's something that we will we'll still see filter through over the coming uh, years. Uh, I think that's going to be a big theme. Mm -hmm. um, what about other things? I mean, you know, another, you, you said you built on top of Ethereum, um, question marks about scalability for all of this. Do you, do you foresee any near-term scalability issues that might impact you? Um, I'm guessing that the type of users you've got fees, although might be painful, probably, you know, the, the type of tickets that they're dealing in uh, might be less of an issue right now. Um, are, are you planning to support other networks? Um, and, you know, have you discovered any issues around scalability that you, you kind of need addressing by developers elsewhere before you can move? Uh, yeah, good question. So I think, as you alluded to at the start of that question, the ticket sizes that are generally done on the platform. So 80% of depositors are sort of over a million dollars in size. Uh, all of the loans are generally over a million dollars 
in size. And I would say the average loan size is probably in the three to six mil, mate, mil range. Uh, so generally when you're dealing with transactions those size, uh, gas fees are not an issue for the uh, for the user. Mm-hmm. I would say where uh, where it does come into play though is 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 obviously uh, faster transaction speeds just creates a better user experience. Uh, and so we would look at uh, we haven't committed any one way yet because we found we have enough to build on uh, on layer one in the meantime and improvements to make there. Mm-hmm. But as we look out ahead, uh, some of the things I am excited about I do you know I do like Arbitrum and Polygon as uh, you know, as uh, scaling solutions. Mm-hmm. And then as I look cross chain, you know, I see uh, chains like Solana as being uh, potentially quite attractive uh, because of the trader base that it tracks, uh, which is sort of naturally uh, naturally aligned with our user base, mm-hmm. uh, as well as potentially chains like uh, Avalanche and, uh, and Algorand, uh, because they typically might have a more institutional user base. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and so I see opportunity there. Um, you know what? What would drive us to go to one chain, perhaps first, is uh, is really an assessment that there is an opportunity that is not going to cannibalize our existing user base, but is actually going to complement what we already have, whether it be on the lender side or whether it be on the borrower side. Yeah. Okay. That all makes a lot of sense. So, um, what is on your roadmap? What's your most pressing issues going forward, and uh, what can the users expect to see coming down the pipeline? So within the next few weeks, we will actually have a reskinned web app coming out, which I think is going to uh, is going to hugely improve uh, upon what we've had in place uh, to begin with. Uh, so really excited about what the team's bringing bring out there. So we have you know our our UX designer and product manager working on that. Uh, but I think the team is also hard at work designing uh, what will be our uh, v2 of our smart contract protocol and this is going to be set up to be far more composable uh, so that we are future proofing ourselves um, and offering the ability to develop um, in, in in real time new lending products uh, to suit different uh, different use cases uh, and then the other thing is uh, you know the, the team is on the road uh, meeting uh, meeting some of our institutional participants and this has been our biggest uh, our biggest focus for now is just building uh, the awareness of how risk is managed so that we can build trust with them uh, and uh, and onboard more users uh, so that we can grow the uh, the TVL on the platform. So from a standing start in May, we had an initial pool of 17 million. We've now hit about 172 million uh, three and a half months later. Uh, and we're looking at how we can uh, how we can grow that to, you know, north of 500 over the next couple of months. Excellent. Sounds very good. Um, and what's your, your vision or view around um, opening up access to the platform for uh, other people to build on top of once uh, you, you're I, traction? Yeah, I, th- I, think, uh, I think a few of the things I'm excited about, uh, which I think I see as natural integrations with the platform, would be things like uh, uh, we talked about identity and credit scoring before. So I think, uh, you know, ratings are, are something that obviously is, is uh, huge in uh, in debt markets uh, and so there are a few projects that are doing exciting things there i think we're very close with the team from x margin i think they've built a great uh, zero knowledge score that's particularly attractive to uh and applicable to uh, to our user base being traders uh, and then we also have uh you know i've, I've just caught up with the uh, teller team earlier in the week as well and i think what they're doing uh with on both on chain and off chain scoring is tremendously exciting as well. The other thing uh, is, uh, you know, I know teams like uh, working in the interest rate space. And so I think, uh, you know, the ability to fix or uh, fix or swap interest rates built on top of the platform is also very interesting. 
Yeah, I think there is a lot of interesting stuff coming down the line, which we'll tie all of this together. So just to finish off, um, you know, going forward, we've uh, the markets have been strong. There's been so much interest now. I mean, I'm guessing anyone that has any intention of potentially entering this space is aware of it now. And I think you'll you'll probably agree that um, you know people are far more educated than they were even maybe 12 to 18 months ago. So. Uh, a lot of your time is saved in meetings having to kind of explain the most basic stuff um you know how realistically you know over a five-year time frame how big can these markets get i mean obviously debt markets are huge mm. um, in traditional markets how much of that pie can can like DeFi eat i could give a really eye-popping number there and say hundreds <laughs> of billions uh i because i think naturally in future so in the shorter term, adoption is probably going to be slower than what we recognize, just because those conversations do take longer internally. Uh, so let's say within two years, it'll probably be smaller than what I would estimate. But within seven years or five to seven years, it's probably going to be multiples of what I would actually estimate. Uh, and so I think the market truly is uh, in the hundreds of billions uh, in that five year range, uh, if not trillions. And the reason for that is a couple of elements. Uh, so I'd say it's it's going to seem as silly going through kind of traditional debt markets in five years as it would, you know, trying to send paper mail uh, across the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, it's it's just the same step function as uh, as email. Uh, and then the other element is uh, that what what uh, DeFi does is actually dramatically expand the market. So it's similar to the impact of the Sony Walkman had uh, on music consumption versus, say, having a speaker in your house. Uh, and a radio, it massively, uh, massively expands the market to include effectively everyone who's been in the kind of the US private debt markets uh, now because it's been too expensive to be served by traditional investment banks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that is interesting. And uh, we'll have to wait to see exactly how it turns out. But I think, uh, you know, the possibilities are endless. So congratulations to you and your team for, uh, you know, getting uh, the platform to this stage. Um, great to hear about, um, you know, how it's progressed so far. We'll certainly be keeping an eye on future developments. Thanks for joining us, Sid, and hopefully we'll get you back at some time soon. Terrific. Thanks, Paul. Really enjoyed it. Cheers.